Friends help you when you're in danger. Friends are people who are not strangers. Friends help you shift to a new place. Tell you if you've got food on your face. Friends are the ones on whom you can depend. He's my friend. He's not my friend. Friends are the ones who are there in the end. He's my friend. They're not my friends. If you trip over, I'll catch you fall. If you kick my dick, I won't break your balls. If you get drunk and vomit on me, I'll make sure you get on safely. If you cross the road and a truck struck you, I'll scrape you up and reconstruct you. I'll cheer you up if you're depressed. If you get murdered, I'll avenge your death. Friends walk together. La 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 la. Hop and lock together. Me and him together. La 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 la. Me and Jim forever. Friends go jogging at the track. Friends borrow money, never pay us back. Friends do not let friends do crack. Friends go out and grab a snack. Friends drink beer in the sun. Unlike your friends, they don't mind if you have more than one. Friends tell you when your flies undone. Your flies undone. My uncle John had a special friend. They dressed alike. His name was Ben. I've never seen two friends like them. They were very, very friendly men. Friends, friends, friends. Friends, 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 la 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 la. Friends, 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 la 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 la. Friends, la 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 la. Friends, la 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 la. Ping. CITR 101.9 FM. This is the Ink Stud Show, the radio show where we talk about comics. Wow, my headphones are really sucking. Mariel, do you mind grabbing me another pair? Yes. The no, the a... plug is not working these so well. Are you talking about they work fine. No, for it's me. it's going out on me. Oh, it's yeah. fine for me. Yeah, I, I actually have to talk blah, to blah, people. Blah, blah, blah. Okay. Um Yeah, sorry about that everybody. Uh Inkstead CIT one one point nine FM. This is Inkstead Show, the radio show where we talk about comics. Uh my guests today are two friends. Apropos with the song, I guess. Um Derek Kirk Kim and Gene Yang. Have I got you guys there? Yes. Yep, I'm here. Awesome. All right. Now, I think, Gene, you may need to be a little louder. I can't tell yet, but I may tell you to go up and down. Um, I need to be a little louder. How's that? That's good. And hold okay. on a second. I'm just going to change headphones. Thanks, Marielle. Okay. That is way better. Oh, nothing like wearing headphones where the plug's going out, and I won't be able to hear you guys. Um, so, technical difficulties aside, the new book... Uh, from both you boys is the eternal smile um a collection of short featurettes is that a good way of putting it yeah sure um so tell me about the uh i guess the nexus of the book where it came from you want to you want to do that Derek? uh why don't you do that gene all right <laughs> well, we, um, we did a book together a long time ago, like 10 years ago, um, called Duncan's Kingdom that was eventually published by Image Comics uh, in the late 90s as a, as a two-issue black-and-white miniseries. Um, and that sort of, you know, we just did it, and then we both moved on to our own projects. 
it's sort of always stuck in the back of our minds. Like, we always wanted to collect it in some way. Unfortunately, that story is too short to collect by itself. It's only about 50-something pages. Mm-hmm. Uh, so eventually we came upon the idea of pairing it up with two more stories that explore the same themes, and that's what The Eternal Smile is. Now, how do you guys uh, collaborate? Well, I do all the all the writing, and he does all the drawings. So he does the... Derek does all the sweat work, <laughs> all the really hard work. How does that? I just get to find you know really pretty pages in my email every so often. <laughs> How does that feel, Derek? Uh, I'm just glad it's over. <laughs> uh, you feel I like mean, a slave boy, huh? Yeah, I felt like uh, I felt like Gene's little uh, little uh, worker elf, I guess. But um, he was basically like my gib. It was like yeah. having a personal Korean gift. <laughs> exactly. He, uh, he pulled me out of the closet and had me draw and put me back in. Imagine and a very well-dressed gimp. What's that? <laughs> I imagine a very well-dressed gimp. <laughs> yes, yes. Thank you. Um, but yeah, I mean, I mean, you know, but now that it's done, I don't, I don't even remember the, uh, the, uh, all the time that it took to actually do it. Because, you know, once you get the book, it's like... It's like it's like a baby being born, you know. You forget about, about all the hardships and the, yeah, just love having the book out. <laughs> and it looks gorgeous, man. This is like it's so pretty. It is, it is a nice companion, nice little set, uh, companion pieces to the original work. Um, Derek just did an amazing job. I thought. Yeah, it's fascinating. Great Derek. for a game. I couldn't have expected more. <laughs> I, I don't think I could think of a better game than Derek. <laughs> Uh, you know, there there may be some stiff competition, but um, we'll we'll, we'll yeah, give. Don't you don't you think a Chinese game would have been better? Hey, hey, <laughs> cheaper, hey, that's for sure. Hey, <laughs> just so people know, Derek uh, is uh, the uh, Korean American author behind uh, Same Difference and Other Stories, Good as Lily and uh, Low Bright. And uh, Gene's, uh, I guess, most noted book is uh, American Born Chinese, as well as Loyola Chin and the San Pellegrin Order and Gordon Yamamoto, the King of the Geeks. Just to kind of get that out there so people don't think I'm talking to a couple of raving racists. <laughs> <laughs> we can be creators of those books and be raving racists. It's <laughs> not mutually exclusive. Where's the love, guys? The love. <laughs> Did this? Did He's it? probably the racist guy I know, actually. <laughs> <laughs> he's, always, he's always telling me uh, that I'm basically Chinese. How does like that? that what? What did I tell you? He always tells me that I'm basically Chinese. That's like a spirit. Yeah, I'm just dropping some history on you. That's all. <laughs> Has this uh, collaboration ruined the friendship? <laughs> <laughs> no, honestly, like seriously speaking, Derek is Derek is one of my best friends. And that's part of why we can joke around like this, right? I mean, like my uh, my wife is Korean, and if Derek really wanted to, he could he could he could really ruin my marriage by just forwarding emails to my wife. But he's never done that. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe playing her uh, certain song we'll uh, play later on the show. <laughs> that's true. Well, I gotta I gotta ride on Jean's coattails for a few more years. So oh, you know, I would go. sabotage my own career if I. Uh, you know the way the way I got. Uh, <laughs> American-born Chinese published by first second was totally by riding on Derek's coattails. Well, tell me about how you guys met. 
we met at well, we met at Ape in San Francisco years and years ago, like probably twelve years ago. Was it twelve years ago? Mm-hmm. It was, it was like in the dawn, in the, the dawn of our careers, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jesse Ham introduced us. I had met Jesse Ham that day. I don't know how you met Jesse. How'd you meet Jesse? I just met him at actually like maybe a year before at a WonderCon, which is like a regional show in uh, San Francisco, in the Oakland area at the time. It's more of like a more of a superhero type convention. Mm-hmm. But anyway, he, I had a table. It was like I think my first table I ever had, and um, and Jesse came over, introduced himself, and I guess he knew somebody else that was at the school that I was going to, which is the uh, Academy of Art, and um, so Jesse knew me from from his friend, and then that's how they got to know each other. And then uh, and then the following year, we went to, maybe the same year, I can't even remember, but we went to Ape together, which is only like the third Ape or something. It was still in San Jose, and it was really, yeah, really right. tiny. That's right, it was in San Jose. Uh, it wasn't in San Francisco. What's that? Yeah, we, like, we, we met in San Jose. I was thinking it was in San Francisco. I totally forgot that it used to be in San Jose. Yeah, yeah. It, What's it the difference? San Jose at the time. What's the and, difference uh, between San Jose and San Francisco? There was nobody walking the aisles except the, uh, the exhibitors. I remember that very clearly. Um, That's right. But uh, yeah, Jesse. I guess Jesse had stopped by Gene's table, and then he picked up a Ash, a mini comics version of uh, Gordon Yamamoto and the King of the Geeks number one. Mm-hmm. And um, and he brought that over to our table, and I was flipping through it, and uh, and uh, I really liked it. And. Um, so then uh, afterwards, there was like some kind of after party or something, and then and then uh, Gene was there, and then uh, we met. <laughs> yeah. And, and then Derek I sent me a, a, a postcard about Gordon Yamamoto and Kiwi Geeks, uh, like, a, like a couple weeks later. And then we started yeah. mail correspondence. I don't know why we didn't do email. I guess, was it not invented yet at the time? I don't remember. I don't think email was really, yeah, I don't think email was really that people just didn't use it, right? Yeah, well, if it's 12 years ago, it wasn't, uh, well, I think I had an email account then, but, you know, I'm just saying, wasn't as useful. I'm pretty sure ago. I did, too. I think you were the one that was out of loop, dude. <laughs> but we, we, would, we, would write, we would write letters to each other, and, um, and then eventually... Yeah, I probably, uh, I probably thought the internet was like a fad or something. It was going to go away. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. What is this thing? Yeah. It's all flashy and shiny buttons. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, Derek, actually, we, I remember in the very beginning, we used to argue about computer stuff all the time. Like, I was always really pro-computers, and Derek was always really anti, until it came to putting comics on the web. And then Derek was totally pro. Derek wanted to put all of his work on the web, and I was like, if you give it all away for free, you'll never make money off of it. But I was totally wrong. You totally made money off of it. <laughs> you give it away for free. Blang, blang, yo. Yeah. Bang, bang. Now, let's Wait, talk... you making money, Gene? What's that? <laughs> you're making money off your comics? Wow. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. I wasn't supposed to tell you that. Because you're the kid. <laughs> yeah, just give him a... What was it I read in one... I was reading The Low Bright today, and you like to live off a steady diet of spam and fried rice, Derek? <laughs> Me? Yeah, that's like, uh, that's like my uh, standard, standard, uh, standard dish, I guess. I have like... I don't know, maybe like five dishes that I rotate like every day, and um, that was one of them. But um, I kind of had to cut back on the just eating no vegetables. I mean, I had to start eating vegetables again because I, yeah. It's just, it's did, you get, did you get scurvy? 
Uh, my teeth are falling out as I speak. <laughs> oh, that'll make this hour even more awkward than it is. <laughs> now, the Eternal Smile. Tell me about, I guess the um, the themes that you guys are exploring in it. They're all very um, kind of sad stories. That would be your department, Gene. Yeah, Gene. Tell well, me. Um, I, I mean, the, the original story, Duncan's Kingdom, was really about um, the connection between fantasy and reality and how, how people use fantasy. Maybe not people, how geeks use fantasy. <laughs> Maybe how I use fantasy. <laughs> and, uh, and then, and then when, we, when we wanted to expand it to a collection, um, we were thinking about different ways of connecting the stories, and that, that seemed like a natural choice three stories about the same theme, um, taking a look at it from slightly different vantage points each time. Uh, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know if I meant to make them all sad. I guess they are all kind of sad. But they're not, like, completely sad, right? They're, I don't know if they're, you they're kind of they're tragedies, would you? No, I wouldn't say they're, they're, they're tragedies, but I'd say there's an underlying sadness that res- resolved, a resolved sadness, maybe? Hmm. I don't, know. I don't want to give too much away within the book. Um, well, after after Duncan, I think Gene, uh, I think Gene felt a little guilty because uh, Duncan's Kingdom is kind of it's sort of down on any kind of fantasy, right? Yeah, I mean, it's sort of, yeah, it's kind of anti-fantasy or having a fantasy life, and I think Gene thought that was too one-sided. So he wanted to do he wanted to do a couple more stories that kind of rounded out that theme, whereas where it's not always negative. You know, it can be empowering or something like that. Did you play Dungeons and Dragons as a young man, Gene? I did. I did. You did? You did I didn't know you played D&D. I'm sure you did, too. But I did. I, I, was, uh, I, I was both. I was on both sides of the, the dice, I guess you would say, right? I, would, I was a DM, and I was also, I don't remember. I was like an elf or something. I don't remember. The dungeon master, for those that don't know what the DM yeah, is. Yeah, that's right. That's right. That was actually a lot of fun. I remember, I mean, it's just sort of like, it's, it's sort of like just being a storyteller, right? Mm-hmm. I, I really like being a DM. Unfortunately, we didn't play for very long. How old were you? All the other kids grew out, there, grew out of their geekiness before I did. Uh, I think I was in like fifth and sixth grade. It was definitely before junior high. Because in junior high, I became really aware of girls. And very, very self-aware of my own geekiness. And, and I definitely tried to run away from anything that was geeky. And that's great. pretty thoroughly explored in uh, American-born Chinese. Yeah, I guess so. It is. It is from, from, uh, from a more ethnic. Mm. But I stopped, like, like I, read, I read comics when I was in fifth and sixth grade, and I stopped in seventh and eighth. And then, um, and then by the time I got to freshman year in high school, I just realized that it was hopeless, that I would never be... I would never not be a geek. So <laughs> I started started reading comics again and doing all that stuff. Acceptance is important. You know? Yeah, yeah, it's, I agree. It's okay to be a geek. It's okay. <laughs> I was a Thanks. I was a hardcore D and D player when I was a kid. What was your uh, character? Oh my god, I had too many. <laughs> um, my favorite, actually, my my favorite game wasn't D and D though. I like role playing games, but I didn't D and D was kind of like wasn't really my favorite. There's too many rules. You know, the advanced D&D second edition, whatever. It's like, it becomes more like, uh, I don't know, it becomes kind of mechanical or something where every single action you take has to be rolled or, you know, whatever. And um, my favorite game was uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, actually, the role-playing game. Oh, nice, nice. 
Yeah, and in that role-playing game, you get to pick an animal, any, any animal you want, and then you become an anthropomorphic version of that animal. And uh, so in that game, my, my favorite character was a bat. A bat. It was a bat. I, I am going to disclose something. I played a role-playing game for about three weeks, and I was a were... Was it were-bat? No, it was a were-beaver. <laughs> what role-playing game must you be a were-beaver? It was this one that my friend made. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. That's I remember doing game. that, too. I think I made up a role-playing game, too. I think pretty much any kid who played a role-playing game must have made something up like that, right? It was my, yeah. only, my only dabbling, but it happened. <laughs> I, I, uh, me and my cousins and my brother, we made role playing games too. Dozens. What was yeah. your? What's your uh, favorite dice? My favorite dice. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think I like the D four just because it's so flat on every side. Yeah, <laughs> it's a good. It's a. It's a. It's a good dice. I'm gonna play a quick uh, song break. Um, I'm gonna give everyone a little warning. The uh, the song about to play. Um, how do you describe it, Gene? I I think it's audio porn. It's not a good porn. It's like accidentally walking in on your grandparents doing it. Like that's what it's like. And that's not what it describes. That's just how it makes you feel after you've heard it. So uh, listener discretion be advised. The song is three minutes and fifty four seconds long. Um, and then we'll be right back with uh, Derek and Gene. Inks at CITR 101.9 FM. There's no shiga corn, but you will believe when you see my horn. My horn that I use to fuck so many bimbos. P.S. That horn is a phallic symbol. Now I don't mean to boast, but my size is such. For me, normal sex is a titty fuck. Oh, I try to walk the streets like a normal man With both of my legs and one leg in my pants And when I get an erection, I want the F double A When I ejaculate, FEMA comes heading my way I'm a strain on a federal agencies Can I help it that the ladies want to F my DIC? And my balls, they're enormous and overgrown Bigger than the one that chased Indiana Jones I love my corn. He is the sweetest of them all Doing God knows what with Thompson In the bathroom stall I do magic, I juggle, and I tap dance I've got Japanese jeans, but I'm black in my pants You all what you eat, then that makes me a twat Cause even if you're on the rag, I'm Lestat They call me a germaphobe, but I confess I would touch doorknobs if doorknobs was breast Come to the Piedmont breast, that's where I'll be On the oversight shelf under DIC I'll check you out, and if you got fines You can place a hold on this barcode of mine Our patrons with glasses all wanna get on me Because I know who killed Hollow Throne you wanna come over? Turn to page nine. I'll wrap my chimney rock up your cable time. I love my shiga corn. 
Sitting by his telephone, screening all his calls. They call me a player because I got lots of ROMs. Had to replace my floor because I kept dropping bombs. Girl, it's the truth. Let me be blunt. I want to shoot you like the dog and duck hunt. Symbolically, that is, because I am a lover with Mr. Dew pattern on my bed cover. If you're Taiwan, then I'm mainland China. But the U.S. won't help when I strike your vagina. Got a ripe yeast infection? Oh, that's okay. I'll put your grape into you and make a Saturday. That's why ladies love me. What can I say? I love myself too, maybe three times a day. So many ladies, so little time. Are you a lady? Call me, 597-0539. He is my shigakorn. He is the greatest of them all. I shall ride him under the rainbow through a waterfall. I do magic. I do magic. I do magic. That was um what's what's the name of the band, Derek? Uh they're called the Cuckolds. The Cuckolds. He had he had a band name. Yeah, the uh, well, Jason um, plays with his uh, his friend Windsor. I'm sure Together, he does. they I'm are the sure. Cuckolds. <laughs> you feel dirty uh, now. Uh, not even so, dirty, but like slightly, like you drink too much slurpy or something. That's what you feel like, right? Kinda that the whole yeah. brain freeze thing. Yeah, yeah. It's not right. Actually, uh, I actually co-wrote that song. Thanks, Derek. You did what? I actually co-wrote that song. There's a very interesting story to that song. <laughs> uh, let, let, let's hear the, the story. And just so people know, Jason Shiga, uh, Eisner awarded, uh, or Eisner nominated, sorry, should have been awarded, uh, cartoonist of, oh my god, I can't even think of the name of the book. The, the, what's the name of the book? I can't remember right now. What? Well, Fleet? Well, Fleet, he won. For, I think, oh, Double Happiness, right? Double he was just nominated. Not Double Happiness, um, um, the library one. Book Hunter. Book Hunter, there we go. Okay. Yeah. See, I, it, my brain's not working so well today. So, go it's ahead. Tell us, tell us the... Problem. your brain a little bit. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's very weird. Like, um, uh, Jason, you know, Jason is also one of our best friends. And um, unbeknownst to each other, me and Jason Thompson, another friend of ours, were uh, independently writing different songs about Jason. <laughs> and uh, I didn't know he was writing a song. He didn't know I was writing a song, but we were. And I, I was writing, like, a folk song. So, like, the chorus part, you know, I love my Shiga coin. That was, that was the part that I was writing. And then Jason was writing a rap song about Shiga. And then um, when Jason Shiga heard both our interpretation or both our songs, <laughs> he decided to uh, combine them into one. And then him and Windsor put them together and made I Love My Shiga Corn. It's magic. That's how the song came to be. Magic. I, uh, <laughs> when you mentioned it in an email, I tracked down the video that you posted of uh, the lovely wedding from, I guess, a couple of years ago and shots of like Scott McCloud in a suit with this terrible Jason Shiga rapping over it. It's a, it's a piece of wonder. Terrible. 
<laughs> Sorry, wonderful. Wonderful, Jason. No, it was hey, it's terrible. It's magically terrible. <laughs> the magic of the sheet. Of, sheet of I think corn. it's awesome. I think Jason's awesome. Yes. He, he is. I and I'm actually even though I couldn't remember the name of the book cuz uh like I said brain seeping out of my ears. Um <laughs> he, he's he is really wonderful and uh, I think people should check out his work. I guess uh, you can get it from Global Hobo and uh Sparkplug would be the yep. the places to go. Two very he, has a, he has a big book coming out soon too. What do you remember the publisher, Derek? Yeah, it's uh, he has a, he actually has a book coming out from Abrams next year. The big book publisher. Oh, nice, nice. Yeah. Those Abram books are pretty Full nice color. looking. Full color. It'll be amazing. It will be. Yeah. I'm excited. Yeah, it's called Meanwhile, and it's this choose your own adventure one. Oh, I've got, got all abs. And uh, um, yeah, he actually redrew the entire thing and colored the whole thing by himself. Uh, it looks amazing. I think it's like the best work he's ever done. Crazy. Yeah, it really is. Because that's a massive Definitely book. That's like, what, like a 300-page comic, I think? Um, No, it's only like 120 or something. Is it? Like that. It, it feels it, big. It. it feels big. Um, So tell me, both of you guys in your own works kind of explore um, areas of, I guess, Asian stereotyping. How do you feel about that, about what you come across in your work? Uh, well, personally, actually, I mean, I've been asked that before, but I never actually, I've never done a book like American Born Chinese or Shortcomings or something where, it, you know, that's what the book is about, mm-hmm. or it directly addresses it or anything. I'm more interested in doing stories that, you know, that everybody, I guess, can relate to, but it just happens to star Asian Americans. Yeah. I'd say yeah. You know? Your 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 work is definitely more of a kind of a a celebration aspect, but not being super celebratory. But like you know, very putting it out there is that just part of your storyline? But I mean, American Born Chinese definitely, I guess, challenges that notion. I think, yeah, I think same. I think, I think for me, it's like I just want to have stories that um, are more reflective of just more like everyday life instead of addressing a particular subject. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? But it's an everyday Asian American life, though. Well, yeah, that's what I meant. Yeah, like it just comes out. I think the parts of it come out naturally, just because it stars Asian Americans. You can't really escape the fact that they're Asian Americans. So, you know, they, they're gonna if it if it is realistic to life, they are gonna talk about stuff that probably only Asian Americans talk about, like you know, being stereotyped or um, or talking about you know. I don't know, different kinds of ramen or something, you know? (laughs) um, But I've never actually addressed race as the central point of a book, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, Gene definitely with American Born Chinese is, I mean, American Born Chinese to me, I think is like the Citizen Kane of that issue. (laughs) (laughs) Do you want to speak to that, Gene? Well, it's, you know, I I, kind of like Derek, I've always, I've always had um, Asian American protagonists, before Asian, before American born Chinese, and and it's the same thing. I always it was it was always incidental to the story. Like their their ethnicity was incidental to the story. And I I just thought since um, it's such an important part of how I understand myself, I wanted to do a story that focused on it. So that's what American born Chinese is. It's also sort of my way of working in the Monkey King. I always wanted to do a Monkey King story, but <laughs> they're like a billion, right? They're like a billion. Monkey King adaptations out there, and and the only way I could think of doing it in an original way was by using it 
as a as an Asian American thing, as a way of talking about Asian Americanness. Mm-hmm. And kind of looking at the identity. Um, now, Derek. Mm-hmm. In the Eternal Smile, tell me about the uh, the doodling in it. Your uh, the different art styles you use and what kind of challenges is and how you decide that. <laughs> Excuse me, sorry. Uh, <laughs> bless you. Go ahead. Sorry, I was asking oh, um, about the art. Well, it's uh, the art styles were kind of um, well. I guess well for Duncan Kingdom, we actually drew that um, like ten years ago. Yeah. So um, naturally, there's going to be a difference in terms of the way I draw now. So there's that. And then the second story, um, the second story is you know the style was kind of dictated to me because of uh, the fact that it was supposed to be a send up of Uncle Scrooge. So I, I tried to kind of draw it. Um, try to draw it in the style of uh, of a uh, Karl Barks comic, mm-hmm. even with the uh, four tier grids and everything. And um, I mean, I try to infuse it with my own style too, but I definitely wanted to make it look like it was supposed to be Karl Barks. And then for the third story, um, that's probably the one that um, is more most like the way I would normally draw or approach that story. I guess um, now, ten years later, since we've done Duncan's Kingdom. Um, mm-hmm. But beyond that, I also Gene had this great idea of uh, each story looking like it's supposed to be uh, a di- like from a different sector of comics, I guess. Yeah. So like like Duncan's Kingdom was more like I guess sort of more like the mainstream, and then it's like nineties image. It, late nineties. It's kind of like late nineties image a little. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then and then, Except and then he keeps proportion. Derek keeps proportion, <laughs> and he has ankles, no pointy knees. <laughs> Um, yeah, uh, okay. Anyway, uh, so, <laughs> actually, I just didn't hear what you guys said. What was that? He was saying, uh, you keep proportion and, uh, don't have pointy knees. Oh, okay, okay, right, right. Um, yeah, I don't have, like, a giant mound in the ground that covers their feet or anything yeah. like that. Yes, that's right. You should, you should start looking into that. I think that's a, that's a good effect. <laughs> it'd be, uh, it'd be, uh, faster to draw, for sure. Um... But, uh, yeah, so, uh, and then, oh, also Gene came up with this great idea where each story um, would have a separate cover, and each of the cover was supposed to look like um, like a different comic. Yeah. Like completely different uh, artists and uh, different kind of, like I said, like a different sector of comics. So following that, I, I had to try to make the stories match the covers, too, so. Yeah, that's pretty. That's a really long-winded way. <laughs> what I was trying to say. Now, is the work in the third story you're kind of more comfortable what you normally do now with your comics? Yeah, I mean, it's uh, well. First of all, the, the actual storytelling, the the format of the comic itself is also very different in the third story, not just yeah. the art. And that's the style that I actually use in my own comics, um, where I do all the panels separately and then combine them afterwards. To um, to you know put them together into a story page by page flow that I, that that I really like because you can really control that if you do the panels first and then combine them later and then also I've uh, got into this thing where I move the balloons actually off of the panel itself where the all the word balloons are outside the panels so that's something that I've been doing in my own comics that I utilized in the third story so you got a lot of leeway artistically. On that one, like. oh, for sure, for sure. I mean, on all of it. But um, actually, my thing is I, I wanted to stick as close as possible to Gene's thumbnails. Like, 
like in Greenbacks or, or Duncan, if you look at the thumbnails of my piece, I mean, in terms of the panel breakdowns, it's almost identical. Because, I don't know. Being, you know, like, I, I feel like the artist's job is to try to capture what, the, what was in the writer's head when he was writing it. So because Gene writes in thumbnails, I can actually see what was in his head, you know, pretty much in thumbnail form. So I just try to stick as close as I possibly could. Well, Derek, Derek did reframe some of them, though, because there's, there's, I feel like when I thumbnail, I'm definitely limited, even unconsciously, by my drawing ability. So there are certain angles and that sort of thing that I just wouldn't thumbnail because my brain knows that I can't draw it. You know, so so there there are definitely panels here and there that um, that Derek reshoots, like he repositions the the imaginary camera um, to a position where I just wouldn't, mm-hmm. I wouldn't be able to pull that off. Why don't you feel comfortable with you? Like I I think you've got a great cartooning style. Yeah, me too. Well, thanks, <laughs> thanks. But I think it's I mean it's definitely limited, right? It's not. I'm 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 like I'm a cartoonist. Derek is Derek's an illustrator. Derek's an artist. I don't know. I think I think I'm very limited too. Actually, um, I, I think Ooh, we all. I think every artist, every cartoonist, gets into sort of their own rhythms. You know, like mm-hmm. if you have a certain kind of talking headshots, I think every artist has kind of a habit of kind of um, defaulting back into the way they would quote unquote shoot that shot. You know, mm-hmm. use all these stupid film terms, but um, and I think and I think I have the same problem. Like I, you know, in certain kind of angles and things. I, I revert to back to whatever I did before, and so I think I think that's that's what you do, Gene. And I don't think that's anything bad or anything. I think it's something every every artist does. Yeah, yeah but come on, let's be real, dude. <laughs> Derek is just way more awesome at drawing. No, but well, actually, what I was trying to say we was not leave it at that because there's nothing you can add to that. I'm right. No, but what I was trying to say is it's not so much the what's in the actual panel itself, but in terms of the panel breakdowns, I, I try to stick as close as possible. Within the panel, yeah, I shift things around, but the actual panel breakdowns, I try to stick as close to uh, Gene's thumbnails as possible. I, I think I also, I, I do trust um, Derek's storytelling. You know, like, there, there are artists out there who are, who are amazing illustrators who can, who can render really well, mm-hmm. but when they, when, they, uh, when they do a sequence of panels, it's practically unreadable because they just don't have... David Mack. They don't have the storytelling chops. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, but but Derek, you know, Derek's a cartoonist. He, he's a beginning band cartoonist in his own right. So I uh, I definitely trust his instincts, and, and that's that's part of like like we um, we get each other, we we critique each other's stuff a lot, and, and that's one of the reasons why I like having Derek read my stuff before I start penciling, mm-hmm. is because um, he has a good sense about that kind of thing. Yeah, I think the the reason the collaboration was so great um, for us was because we have such similar storytelling um, I don't know like aesthetics uh, like yeah like did you say ethics aesthetics aesthetics exactly yeah we have sort of the same sort of storytelling aesthetics and uh, and uh, instincts I think that's a big one yeah and even though well, our and stories ideals too I think ideals different. like well, we would both we would both practically like sacrifice anything for clarity mm-hmm Right. Anything. Well, almost anything. <laughs> and I think Gene, Gene, and I are both very conscious of the uh, page turn. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. We're both like real big sticklers of that. So I think it's, that worked out really well. Too. Which is funny because you're a webcomic kid. 
I'm not actually. I started out actually in print. I didn't even I didn't even start out in mini comics like most cartoonists. I just started out in print at Ar- in Arctic Press. Okay. Long long time ago. And, wow. Um, I put out a few few issues of a series and everything like just like you know your typical. What was it called? Nineties nineties black and white crappy comic. What was it called? Uh, it was called Cell with a C. And okay. um, it was just this really awful. You know, I just got. I was still in college, and you know, <laughs> it was really <laughs> bad. But. Um, but um, after, after that, mood. I actually, I actually like went the other way. I after that, I got so disillusioned with uh, the print comics world. I just decided to do mini comics, and then um, I started doing mini comics. And then um, I moved to Korea to teach English for a couple of years. And while I was there, that's when I came up with the website because I wanted to kind of share my comics with my friends. But you know, it's really hard just to mail back and forth from Korea. So I decided the best way would be just to put up a website. And then. And then uh, that's how I got into the webcomics thing. I was never, I never, I never started out doing webcomics or anything like that. There wasn't really a webcomics community or world back in those days anyway. Not like it is now. Oh. No, no, no. <laughs> so tell me what projects you guys got uh, on the back burner now, or not on the back burner anymore, that this is done. Gene, I, I have, have a book like that I'm working project. on with, um, with Tin Fam. Do you know who Tin Fam is? Tim Fam, no. Tim Fam, yeah, he's a he's a Bay Area cartoonist too. He 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 did a mini comic called Sumo. He does mostly mini comics, mm-hmm. and uh, and he did another one called Tin Fam is awesome. <laughs> That's a great name. Yeah, yeah. So so we're doing a book together for um for first second. It's called it's tentatively called Four Angels, but the the title might change. And it's it's loosely based on my brother's experiences as a as a med school student. My brother's a doctor now. He's, you know, he's a good Asian, and uh, and then when he was in medical, he just told me these crazy stories that I had to put into a graphic novel. Is your family disappointed in you, Gene? They were for a long time, actually. Well, not my family, mainly my dad. <laughs> <laughs> they, they, I, I, I was, I was disappointed in the right word, but he was definitely worried about my financial future. Uh, less so now, but for a while when I was teaching and drawing mini-comics uh, and living in a small apartment in Oakland. He was definitely worried. And how about you, uh, Mr. Uh, Mr. Derek? What hey, you got King, with? you didn't tell him about the other book you're working on. Oh, what's this? I, I have another book that I'm both writing and drawing. and uh, it's, uh, it's called Boxers and Saints, and it's, it's a historical fiction piece set at the time of the Boxer Rebellion in China. Oh, interesting. In, in the late 1800s. It's taking forever. I actually just finished scripting it yesterday. Script now, not the whole thing. Scripting like it'll be it'll be two books, and I just finished scripting the first book yesterday. So uh, I'm still I'm still penciling it. I've only got like forty pages penciled in, in it so far. It's that was an odd rebellion. I studied it in school last summer, and uh, it was interesting. You did. Yeah, nobody else has heard of it. It gets like a paragraph in most American textbooks. No, we spent a good amount of time because it really it was quite a shift in um, relations at that point. Like it was a big part of like you, the seventy five year breakdown, I think, between East and West. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, and I think it, a lot of folks consider it the first modern war, right? Because it was the first conflict where people could follow it 
in the newspapers and, and you would see photographs and, and that sort of thing. It was also I mean, a prime I, example. It was a, it was a media war. It was like the very first media war. It was also an example of um, the fight between people with modern weapons and not modern weapons. Yes, yeah. And, yeah. and what happens with that? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Although, man, the, 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 all the, all the boxers came really close. Yeah, they, they really close to doing what they wanted. They 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 did get quite the momentum, um, but they also kind of believed, didn't they, that they could stop bullets? Yes, they believed. Yeah, they believed that they could be possessed by by Chinese gods and that sort of thing. It didn't really they work. Out. They could be superheroes, basically. Pretty much like Tai Chi superheroes. Yeah, they believed they had superpowers. So, check it out, folks. Go to uh, what Wikipedia? Would that be a good idea? Maybe to yeah, have sure. something. Boxer Rebellion, or or the Boxer Uprising. Some folks call it the Boxer Uprising. Mm-hmm. They feel like it was an actual rebellion. Yeah, no, it was uh, not very much of a central authority at that time. So, yeah. No, I read the. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. No, go ahead. Oh, I, I was just going to say I've read the first five chapters of this of six in the first book. Um, of uh, Gene's version, and uh, it's incredible. <laughs> I think it's going to be. Uh, I think it's going to be Gene's best work when it comes out. Um, I'm totally blown away by it, and it's a very Gene sort of take on the Vox Rebellion. <laughs> they have monkey gods. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's, there's gods. There's, there's, there's monkey teams. Yeah. There's. It's just. I don't know. It's just one of those stories where I read it and it's like only Gene could have written the story. Yeah. And um, yeah, it's, it's it's amazing. I, can't, I actually can't wait to hear what you think, Robin, because of your knowledge of Box Rebellion. Because I I had no idea what it was until Gene told me. Yeah, I know. Uh, if Colin was here, he would be glowing in his eyes on this uh, topic, and then probably <laughs> disappointed when it gets too focused on uh, any kind of throwing it of the gods and stuff. But oh. what is it like? What is it about the Boxer Brown that really jumps out to you? It's like, this is my next book. Because, I mean, like I said, like, cartooning is not easy. Um, I, the, the reason why I chose this topic was I, I feel like it sort of encompasses um, some of the conflict that I, that I struggle with inside myself. So um, I think, you know, I think the... Um, the, the way I come across it was I'm, I'm Catholic, and I grew up in a Chinese um, Catholic community. Mm-hmm. So um, about five or six years ago, uh, a group of Chinese saints were canonized, and it was the very first time that um, that Chinese Catholics were involved, acknowledged in, in any sort of formalized way, you know, in, in that dramatic of a formalized way by the Catholic Church. So uh, the community that I grew up in um, had this big celebration, and I started looking into the lives of a lot of these, um, a lot of the canonized saints, and it turns out that a lot of them were actually martyrs during the Boxer Rebellion. Oh. So, so when they were canonized by the Catholic Church, the Chinese government actually protested, because from the government's perspective, the communist government, um, especially um, in the, like the 60s and 70s, they actually saw the Boxers as patriots. You know, mm-hmm. they saw them as, as these teenage boys who um, risked their lives to defend their country. So they felt like um, their victims, you know, who were mostly Chinese Christians, were actually, uh, like, traitors. They were traitors to, to their own country and to their own heritage. Well, it's like a Western so, 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. By embracing a Western faith and Western philosophies, they had really betrayed something that was um, intrinsically Chinese. But so uh, I just feel like I just feel like encapsulated in this conflict in this Boxer Rebellion is sort of this conflict that that I feel inside myself, not just between. Uh, my faith and my ethnicity, but even between the country that I live in now, like the the Western culture that I live in now, and the Eastern culture that my parents were born into. It's interesting, too, because uh, Catholicism, that wasn't new at that point in China either. Like that no, no, for... it's been around for, yeah, it's been around for a long, long time. But it, it, but I think um, what was new is was, was the tie between Catholicism and um, maybe commercialism, or mm-hmm. or, the, or this this European merchant class that started yeah. making inroads into in China, um, and and I also think that um, that that the government, the Chinese government, was just particularly weak at that point. You know, the dynasties were dying out, and 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 with with like um, sea travel technology and all that sort of thing, they just made a very interesting mix of people yeah. in China at the time. It's a very, very fascinating time to read about, the, the amount of just yeah, complete yeah. change. Yeah, I mean, there, it's just pretty much every color of people under the sun were, were in China at the time, involved in that conflict in some way. You know, the Americans sent, like, an African-American brigade over, and there were Sikhs from India that were under British command that were involved. It's just, it was, a, it was definitely a world conflict. I think we're going to have a long talk when that book comes out. Yeah, yeah. Maybe I should send you. Um, maybe I should send you the script. You're like the first person I've heard of who, 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 I've met who has uh, has actually read up on it before I brought it up. That's it. Yeah, no, it was. Uh, I've taken. Uh, I covered it in a couple of courses in school, actually. So that's awesome. Now, Derek, what do you got going on? I have a couple of books going on myself. I. Um... I have my next book for first second that I'm working on right now, and I'm near the end of thumbnailing that one too. Kind of like Regina's in his book, and um, that one's called Tune T U N E. Yeah, and it's uh, <laughs> I always scared to describe it because it sounds so goofy when I just describe <laughs> it. But it's about uh, it's about this. It's first of all, it's the craziest story I think I've ever written. It's really strange and wacky and weird and it's not like your typical like slice of life type comic the ones that's mostly it now um it's about this art school dropout who uh <laughs> who uh can't find a job so he's going around looking for a job and he and he takes this takes this uh job and he ends up getting stuck in this world where art doesn't exist uh where they don't have a concept of what it, art is and it's actually illegal to draw mm-hmm. punishable by death and um, so then he finds himself even more insignificant than he was before <laughs> in his own world. And the story is about him trying to get back home. Um, like I said, it sounds totally stupid when I describe it, but hopefully it'll be entertaining. <laughs> um, and then the other book I'm working on is being serialized in my um, low bright mini comics. And that story is called Hecka, H-E-C-K-A. And um, that story is probably the first book that I'm doing that actually address kind of my life as an immigrant directly, or being, I guess, Asian American directly. And um, it's kind of based around my first year in America. 
when I came uh, when I was eight. Oh wow! And um, yeah, that's what I'm working on right now. And that'll eventually come up from first second. Uh, probably. <laughs> um, I mean, it's going to be you know, it's going to probably take me like ten years to finish. So who knows? By that point, it's you know. I mean, I hope first second never goes down, and I don't think it will. But you know, no. you never know. So that, uh, that... are you, you going to put those on the web, Derek? Uh, I don't know. I'm toying with it. I don't. I don't really. I haven't really uh, thought that far yet. Just still trying to trying to work on the story. But uh, yeah, I don't know. Are you Are you planning to put the Voxer comic online? Uh, I don't know. I think I'm allowed to put the first chapter up. I'm thinking about it. But Derek originally had Tune up as half empty. Oh yeah, it used um, to be. Yeah, it used to be like when I first started. Same difference. I had another comic actually that I was serializing at the same time. Oh, okay. And then it was called Half Empty at the time. And um, eventually I just had to stop one of them because, you know, <laughs> I couldn't just work on both at the same time. It was taking up so much time because I also had a day job at the time. So I, uh, I stopped Half Empty and I continued on with the same difference. So now I'm kind of going back and finishing that story. And uh, since that time, it, the story has really changed. So now I just decided to give it a different title and start drawing it from the beginning again. Just uh, start with a whole new art style. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know if the style is going to be that much different, but I mean, you know, I've developed and changed since that time, so it'll just naturally probably be different. Well, that's a big thing I noticed with your work is there's you, you utilize a lot of different styles, not only in the in this book, but in other books too. Yeah, I mean, it's. Uh, I think this is probably my biggest. If I had to pick a weakness for myself, actually, I have a lot of weaknesses, but one <laughs> of them is uh, is that I I don't I always feel like I don't. You know, Gene's always talking about how, you know, like, not great as artists, but the thing about Gene's art is, first of all, it is great, and two, you can recognize it immediately, that it's Gene's artwork, you know what I mean? Yeah. If you see his Monkey King, you know immediately it's Gene's, but I feel like I, I don't have, like, one style or something that people can just automatically know that it's me, like, or my work, you know? Um, you know, you're never going to mistake a David Heatley drawing, you know? <laughs> but I don't, I don't have that kind of solid, I guess, sort of stable art style so you can always tell it's um, david heatley by the pink bars <laughs> exactly exactly i heard they're, uh, they're thinking of making a movie of it or something like that so i was wondering if the bars are going to be there oh i hope not <laughs> well but, l- uh, yeah. lads thank you very much for joining me today oh thank you for having us i think we're yeah at, thanks i'm at near the end of my hour here and i've got to play a song still all right. All right. Well, thank you very much for uh, for having us on. It was a lot of fun. It was it was great yeah. to talk to both of you. And uh, I'll make make sure everyone checks out the book, uh, The Eternal Smile from First Second Books, as well as American Born Chinese from First Second. Same difference uh, from Top Shelf, and Good as Lily from the sadly lost Minx book line for teenage girls. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Okay, bye. Thanks, Robin. Bye. 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 That was Derek Kirk Kim and Jean Yang, like I said. Um, Eternal Smile and uh, American Born Chinese. And uh, Same Difference uh, by Derek. Uh, American Born Chinese by Jean. And uh, Good as Lily is actually Derek writing. And uh, Jesse Ham, who was mentioned earlier, drawing. And um, also... Um, Jean has Loyola Chin and the San Pellegrin Order and uh, Gordon Yamato, uh King of the Geeks. Um, I think that was from Slave Labor. 
Up next is uh, some music, and then it'll be the French Connection at 3.30. I'm going to play PSA and then uh, play their last song request and be out. Next week, uh, Julian Tamaki will be on. Well, everyone else in the world is at the San Diego Comic Convention, but neither of us will be. And the week after that will be uh, Dennis Kitchen and uh, local boy James Lloyd coming on to chat about the great Harvey Kurtzman. Talk to you all later. Scenic Drive, every Friday morning, 10 a.m. till noon, CITR.